Welcome back to another episode of Welcome People back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I, today's episode, I Suresh. Gratika is the co-founder of Ignition, and Ignition is a platform that aims to unlock revenue opportunity, we all want that, by aligning product, marketing, and sales teams around new market initiative launches. So they have an AI-powered platform because AI is taking over the world. But what I loved about his solution and his position is he's really trying to help educate people on a way of getting product market fit, of product market launch. So that's connecting the product marketing group to the product group to better understand how do we tell the story of why this should exist in the world, who are our competitors, who is our persona, what are our metrics that we're going for. They've really thought about it from end to end. And he takes his experiences being at Facebook and being at other startups and allows himself to apply that to this product that he's been building for the last couple of years. They got some new features rolling out and he's very excited about the power of AI and I think they've done AI really, really, really well. So we nerded out on a lot of these topics, both from how you build a team, how you get that product out to market, and then where's AI taking us? So I think you're really gonna enjoy this conversation. Let's jump right in. All right, Kartik, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm super excited to have you. I want to throw it straight to you. Why don't you give the audience a little bit of background about yourself and what you're working on right now? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Excited. Um, yeah, so, you know, my name is Kartik. And um, just to go a little bit into my background, so I have a tech background. I started my career in a very different field. I was in uh, high frequency and algorithmic trading space in uh, basically New York. Um, and spent about seven years, but then I realized, you know, it was not very fulfilling for me, you know, making money with money with no purpose wasn't the best thing uh, on earth. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to change my career. And then I moved to tech. Um, my first gig at tech was uh, um, actually, actually the first thing I did was I started a company called Altrest with one of my um, really good friends from undergrad. Um, but that didn't, that failed, um, or at least in, in the in the way uh, I had envisioned. Um, and then I joined this company called Craft, which is an enterprise uh, intelligence um, a company here. It's a Series B company now, but I joined them as a second employee, and that's where I kind of learned the art of you know the product market fit building. Uh, the, I mean, basically build product and operations for them. So that was a great experience. I was there for four years. Um, so the, basically the zero to one journey. Uh, then I joined Facebook as a PM. So I wanted to see what it is like to build products at, at a late stage company, or, or basically one of the largest tech companies out there. Um, so that was a, that was a amazing time as well. I was on the Facebook app and then also the early growth PMs on Facebook reality labs. Uh, which is which is meta right now. I keep forgetting right. to change the name. <laughs> um, and uh, and after that, while I was launching Oculus um, related um, like a feature on uh, in Facebook Reality Labs, the go to market plan there or basically the launch plan was like a spreadsheet with a hundred tabs, and nobody knew there was a tab to keep track of other tabs, and nobody knew where to find the messaging or the campaigns, who's responsible for what. And I was like, there has to be a better way to solve this. Um, and then I met Derek, my co-founder, um, through OnDeck. Uh, he used to run product marketing for Rippling. And then we came up with Ignition. So 
that's that's what I've been working on so far. What an incredible journey! So from trading to startup to um, you know smaller organizations, then jumping in and saying, "I want to see what it looks like at the big tech firm," and now all the way back to the startup world. But you've been at this for a couple of years now. So tell me more about Ignition. I know you're trying to solve that same problem of how do we connect? How do we help better manage the the connection between product and marketing, product marketing fit, and go to market? Tell me more about what you're trying to accomplish there. Yeah, so I mean, so ignition in its early stages, um, basically, what we are trying to solve is there's a few things we are trying to solve. Like no, number one is like how do you the one number one thing is like how do you create a really good product launch process and a go to market plan basically for either your new product or an existing feature. Um, so to take a step back, when you think about what's a good good go to market plan is so. You know, you first need to think about, okay, like who is my audience, right? Who is your target persona and who is my ICP? So you need to define that and make sure you have some user research done beforehand. Then once you know who your persona is, then you also set some OKRs for the launch. Like what is the objectives for this launch? What do I want to achieve? You know, is it signups? Is it revenue? Whatever the OKRs are. And then you need to think about like the messaging. Like how, do, how, how am I going to message the value prop of my product? so that it clearly appeals to my target audience. Um, then once I have the messaging in place, then I need to build the positioning. Positioning is super critical. Like how do I position my product in this market? So for that, you need to do some competitor research, figure out like, you know, what, what are the differentiators of your product compared to other competitors? Where do you bring value? So who you're selling, what are your differentiators and how you differentiate yourself from your competitors? And so how do you position yourself in the market? And, and that's an important exercise in the go-to-market planning. And once you're done with positioning, then you think about, okay, great. So now what channels are, am I going to use to reach those audience? Is it like Facebook and Google ads? Is it SEO? Is it like Reddit? Or is it like podcasts, events, conferences? What channels are you going to use to reach them? And you come up with a channel plan. And then once you have that, then you need to design assets and collateral for each of those you know, marketing channels. You need to work with the marketers to execute the campaign. And then you need to get approvals from your legal policy, execs, as a whole stakeholder management. Then let everyone in the company know that it's launching and this is the messaging, this is the positioning. So everyone can talk the same language so, so that people are not talking different things because otherwise customers get confused. So all of this is a process. And a lot of the times it's, it's very fragmented in companies. So it's like, you know, you have your go-to-market plan in a Google Doc, you have your launch checklist in a spreadsheet, you have your assets in a Dropbox or tasks in Asana, and people don't know where to find. And salespeople are talking about the product in one way. The customer success is explaining it in another way. The PMs are like, what the hell are you doing to my product? I built this feature for a completely different purpose. And the PMMs are like, you know, it's so hard to coordinate all of these stakeholders. So like, it's a huge fragmented process, but with something which touches the entire company. And basically what we're trying to do with Ignition is help you basically automate the whole go-to-market planning process. Um, so that's that's just the first part. Just the first um, yeah. part, right. Just just that little, little thing there. What's incredible, I mean, we work with a lot of organizations that are either building a product for themselves and then their, their buyer, their customer, the user is their employees, right? So that might be a, a global enterprise that's trying to roll something out to help them run more efficiently, which is almost the exact same kind of, market validation, 
go-to-market strategy. They call it change management, but a lot of the same things have to happen. How are we rolling this out? What are the channels? And then on the other side of it, when we're helping a company build a SaaS product or a tool that they're going to put out in the marketplace, what you listed there, all of those items, I would say on average, and we're talking global organizations, on average, maybe... 10%, 15% of what you said, they even considered. It's not even that they are doing, it's that they didn't even know that they should think about those things. And so what I think when I jumped into your tool, what I was impressed by was that your product is telling a narrative, right? So you're not only helping them to facilitate that narrative, which is this is all that you have to do to be successful in theory, but also I'm going to help you because you may not know this is all that you have to do to be successful. Uh, tell me about like how, how did you come up with, you know, obviously you saw that yourself in your organizations, but is, was that intentional to kind of both educate and facilitate at the same time? You, you, you're so spot on. I think there's also a big challenge with our um, product is like, there's a lot of education piece here. Uh, yeah. It's not like, oh, it's a task management tool. Everybody knows how to use a task management. You don't have to teach them. So this is a go-to-market planning tool. So a lot of the companies don't even know how to go do go-to-market planning or they, they do it in you know each one, each team in the same company does it in their own way. So how do you even standardize it? So different shades of the same problem. So there's a big category creation and a customer education piece involved. But also yeah. that's, the, that's the beauty of the product is because we actually handhold you and help you. We have an AI co-pilot in the product, which is going to ask you questions about your product, your budget, and we're going to help you create those narratives. It's not just a doc where you're just working on it on your own. We're going to handhold you and we're going to help you generate your messaging, positioning, figure out who you track all your competitors. So, and, and we recently now uh, we are uh, building this chat GTM bot, which is, uh, which can answer questions. So anybody in the company can ask question about, okay, what's launching? When is it launching? Okay. How should I talk about this product to this persona? And the, the bot will actually tell that person, like, okay, this is how you need to message about this product so that it's standardized. It sounds super um, similar to, did you see Shopify's rollout of, I don't remember what they're calling it, but similar to that, yeah. where it's like, this is this gives you the, the feeling of, you know, this work is hard. It's complicated. It's, it's messy. And so how can you help have something that, that is scoping down to answering a question very easily for you? And I think that's what's really exciting about AI right now. Of course, we're seeing the chat GPTs of the world show us what's possible from a generic standpoint. But when you start scoping that down to, oh, it can answer questions specific to my environment, to my initiative, to my goals, that's when it becomes really, really exciting because then people can ask it a question about, oh, where are we at in this process? Who do I need to talk about about this thing? I'm, I'm pumped to see that come out. That is, so that's, that's very exciting. And I want to give you some props because I think you did such a tasteful, there's a lot of companies right now throwing AI, AI at itself. And I think that you did such a tasteful use of AI where it was appropriate. So the co-pilot does a really good job. I remember I was adding one of my competitors for, you know, a hypothetical product and, um, you know, there's data collection. Mm-hmm. And data collection is is hard, and, and so people skip it, and it, it's it's because it's a menial task at, at best, you know. And so you had this AI that would help me fill that out, yeah. And and but it was scoped to specifically go collect the information as best you can about this competitor. Um, and I thought that was a brilliant use of AI. Not everybody's doing it as as nuanced as that. So well done. Yeah, thanks thanks for that, and thanks for checking it out. I'm glad. <laughs> 
Okay, so I wanna go back in the story a little bit because now we're getting a sense of what the product does and why it exists. But let's go back a couple of years. So you've stepped out to start this startup with your co-founder. Tell me a little bit about um, that journey of getting this first version built. I mean, because as I jumped into it, this is a fully fledged product now. There's a lot going on here and you've had a couple of years to iterate on it, but what were the early steps like when you were just going to market? What was that like to pull a team together to get that done? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, and also like, you know, just to, just before I, I answer that question. So on the Ignition, the product side of things, that was the first version of Ignition, but now the product has evolved into more of a, like a larger platform where you can, you know, you do your user research, market research, you build your product with a roadmap, then you launch your product and measure success. So it's been quite an evolution, um, you know, the last two years, two plus years to you know, get to the You've product. You've done a lot in two today. years though. A lot yeah. in two years. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. Of, I mean, yeah, definitely. They spend a lot of engineering resources there. Um, so when when we did our own, like thinking about our own go to market, the, the first persona we started, you know, again, when I talked about my go to market plan, the first thing you do is who's your persona, like who's your ideal yeah. customer, right? So our own ideal customer was um, basically a product marketer, uh, product marketing manager, PMM in a software company. Um, with uh, you know, ideally fifty plus employees, fifty to hundred plus employees, all the way to you know several several hundred to even a thousand plus uh, employees, and um, and ideally somebody who was looking to establish process in their company, because you know there's probably just one PMM who's handling multiple product lines, and there's like five PMs and like maybe like there's fifty engineers and just one PMM who's trying to basically create a launch process or there's a PMM team who has a multiple product line, but still there's very understaffed and they're looking to um, um, set up this process in a, in a large organization. That's who we targeted um, at the very beginning. And at the very beginning, it was, it was much easier because like, you know, my, my co-founder has been a product marketer for almost 20 years. So there's a lot of it. Uh, when we started the company, it was basically we, we heavily leaned on our own network to right. email, I mean, it's, it's source and also early investors were um, very helpful in getting us uh, into the companies with opening doors. So our early investors and our network, that was literally how we did it, uh, how we targeted PMMs. And um, obviously the messaging was all about like, you know, standard, standardize your go-to-market process, you know, so we are automate your go-to-market process. Um, and uh, and then our positioning was all around, you know, because we are the first to do something like this in this space. Yeah, I, haven't, I hadn't seen a product like not exactly like this before. Yeah, so it was it was pretty st straightforward there. Uh, so not there's a the competition is basically a fragmentation, basically a fragmented set of tools like kind of hooked together to make this happen, yep. right? So, yep. um, but then as we grew, the first thing we did is um, you know we we implemented email automation. Um, so outbound email. Uh, so we use a tool called Ample Market, similar to Apollo, where we can say, hey, it's a PMM and go go find these people. And then every day send like 25, initially start with 10 emails a day and then you ramp up at 25, 50, 100 emails a day. And that's kind of your own automated SDR trying to generate leads for you. So we set that up as a first um, step um, of scaling. Um, and then, you know, we started, you know, this usual, you know, the Google search ads um, and then sponsoring, um, becoming speakers in uh, conferences, um, publishing a lot of thought leadership content. So our blog has a lot of content about what a good go-to-market go strategy is. So publishing yeah. those guides uh, and then so building the SEO engine for the longer term. 
so the usual stuff. So that's that's kind of how we have invested in our own go to market. So that's interesting. So what I love is that you're using your own methodology, your own kind of approach that the tool facilitates to do that for yourself. Uh, and I love that your co-founder, and of course yourself, you, you've had experience being a part of product teams and products that have gone to market or features that have released, yeah. but having your, your co-founder as well, be that subject matter expert, that's, that's a gift, right? Because yeah. it's a lot that allows you to make decisions faster. Cause you've got someone who has been there, done that. Yeah. Um, now let's go back to the engineering side. So there's one thing to say, we know how to get this market out, this product out to the market. We've, we've identified who we're going after. We, we've got their interest, you know, maybe, I don't know if you did kind of a pre-list or kind of built up a list of fo folks that be your early adopters, but then talk about the engineering side. What did it look like to pull together teams? So, um, were you, did you already have teams that you were working with? Did you write the code? Like, what did that look like to actually get this, this, um, this product built? <clears throat> yeah, you know, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the engineering teams, yeah, it, it's, it has evolved quite a bit in the last 10 years, especially since COVID, because everyone's remote now. So right. when we hired engineers in my previous startup or the very first startup, it was all about like being co-located in the same city. So if I'm in the Bay Area, I would hire everyone in the Bay Area. And because I want right. to be, you know, this traditional dream startup is like, you know, you go to a garage, you hire a garage and you have four people, you hack it, hack together, right? That's your, like, <laughs> that's how you imagine a Silicon Valley yeah, startup to be. That's right, that's right. But that's 10 years ago. Now it's yeah. changed. It's all remote. You can hire people or you can work with people anywhere in the world. So why won't, so that was our goal. Our goal when we started Ignition, this was like a COVID company. Um, we started during COVID. So it was like, it's not about location. We just find the best people, wherever they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, so we have people in like seven, uh, six countries. We have, yeah, we have people in six countries. I mean, we are wow. still early stage, as you can imagine. And, you know, everywhere. And obviously we have four people in the US. We have people in Eastern Europe, people in India, people in South America. So it's like fully yep. distributed remote. And the way we sourced is like, you know, basically, uh, you know, to Angelus, through mm -hmm. to a dev shops and agencies, we hired them and whoever is the best, we would basically like get them onto our team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, several, whatever, so several different channels, but you know, it's basically wherever they are, just find the best uh, in what they do. Well, and I'd be remiss to not ask if uh, product, how does product management, because we have a lot of folks that are, a lot of our listeners are either, either a, you know, in that chief product officer kind of role or, you know, senior product manager kind of role. Is that something we're hearing? There's a shift in the market right now, right? Airbnb came out, was like, we don't have any product managers. It's all designers working with engineers or it's very engineering heavy. What did the, what does the makeup of your team look like? So obviously you were able to find engineers to execute on, you know, writing the technical features. What about design? What about product management? What about the other members of the team to come together yeah. and get this built? Yeah. You, you asked a great question. I want to answer that first before I take this, because I think, uh, that's very exciting because that's exactly why we're building Ignition. And also, like, I think what, what uh, Brian Chesky from Airbnb said is, like, they are getting rid of the function and are changing the function, but PMs are still very critical. I think what he's, he's saying is, like, it's not just about working with engineers and coming up with a roadmap and a vision. PMs should also know how to talk about the product. It's like, if you cannot talk about your product, how are you going to build a better product? So that should also be a core skill set for PMs. And, and Ignition fits right in because a uh, lot of the existing tools for PMs are very specifically built towards, you know, 
uh, working with engineering teams. Like, yes. how do you yes. push stuff to Jira? And how do you maybe now, now they're obviously about a collection of insights, which is important too. But it's not 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 yet about how do you messages to the users, how do you position right. it? Like, so that's where I think where Ignition is going is now we are we're targeting more and more PMs, and you know we have we have something some exciting launch coming next um, next month specifically to target product managers. Um, but now uh, coming back, I mean I hope that also answers the question where we we strongly feel PMs PMs are very critical. I mean I've, I've been a career PM, I've been a PM all my yeah, life, yeah. And uh, you know PMs are are I think like the one of the central main on the main um, pe- people who hold like who who basically run the cockpit. They're in the mission control. They're in the driver's seat yeah, driving this yeah. product. And it's just the skill set is changing. So if you look at the evolution of PMs. You know, 10, 15 years ago, there were no PMs. It was engineering managers who were basically planning the roadmap. Right. And then there's Jira and all the task manager tools, all, all the ones that, that those are the ones which exist, uh, existed then. And then PMs evolved from engineering managers because we needed a higher level strategy. We need somebody to talk about the user stories, talk to the users, and then abstract the high level roadmap from the tactical engineering tasks. And also tools like product board and product pad mm-hmm. and product pad, mm-hmm. product plan, a bunch of other tools evolved. And then, and then now what you see is happening is like, it's not just enough if you really work very well with the engineers, you also need to work well with your sales and marketing teams. We're also seeing that product teams should also own revenue KPIs, for example, like product managers never cared about revenue KPIs. Like, hey, maybe I move my retention a bit or maybe I maybe reduce my buck count, whatever it is your KPIs are. But now as product teams are being asked to take on revenue KPIs or shared KPIs with the sales teams or with the marketing teams, make sure we work on the marketing campaigns, make sure we are messaging the product right. So I, I feel like that PM role is evolving from very, very engineering focused, engineering design and user research focused to also work closely with marketing and sales and also take on shared KPIs. And and that's that's the change we see coming. 150% yes. Um, like uh, I, I think that you you articulated it so well because we've seen that same progression even over the, the existence of our company. So Crema is about 15 years old. You know, early days, it was, it was very engineering focused. How do we just make sure the tasks that we're getting done are getting done and launching on time and on budget? And then it progressed to, okay, now we need to pull insights into that. We need to be uh, closer to the business stakeholder, closer to the user, cl- you know, actually connecting these dots, kind of building these constellations from all these data points. Now, I think you're seeing, I'm careful not to use this term because I think it actually maybe sends mixed signals, but we've heard this idea of like the product manager is like the mini CEO, which is to say like, you know, what's happening across all the pieces. You maybe aren't doing everything, but you know, the end goal for your organization is either to increase revenue, decrease cost, or get your customer, your user to buy more or share share it out, right? Increase that net promoter score. So these, there's these basic metrics that at at least at a base, you need these product managers to be aware. This is what you're affecting. I know it makes you feel good to see a new feature come out. I know it makes you feel good to see retention go up a little bit, but the end goal of that is net growth. Right. And so, um, that's, I, I think you, you nailed it. Um, we're, we're seeing that same thing, even to the point where we've started, just making it a common practice with our clients. And it really wasn't a part of our proposal. It's not a part of our, our engagements, but we try to say at the end of every release, if there's a big release milestone, especially for a first launch, we immediately want, we try to, try to create some type of asset. Usually it's a video where it's like, okay, can we tell the story of the, what the pro, why the product exists? 
who it's for, why it exists, why it should matter to the end user. They might use it, they might not use it, but we produce this video asset. We then give it back to them and say, mm -hmm. hey, use this if you want. We've got a voiceover actor, we're showing off the product, et cetera. But the reality is what we want, we want you to know that we understand why this exists. Um, and that's such yes. a, it's, it, it goes so far to say, okay, now let's keep going, right? Yeah, that's um, great. So I love that. I love that. So, okay. Wow. So we've covered a lot of ground here. So, um, not only were you able to kind of spend the last two years iterating on your product, building up a workflow that both educates a user, but also facilitates the customer. Um, we're starting to implement AI. You're starting to talk to product managers rolling out this feature, but I, it sounds like a perfect dream story of this going without flaw or without mistake. What, in this journey over the last two years, what's one spot where you went, ah, that was an unknown unknown. We tripped, we followed, we failed. Where's yeah. the challenge that you had to overcome? Oh yeah. So, I mean, there's so many of that. Actually, that's probably <laughs> right. more than the success stories. It's probably like yeah, for sure, every 10 sure. failures, there's one success. <laughs> yep, one yep. mix. So, um, I mean, just to even step back, even beyond two years, I mean, my very first startup, right? So when I yeah. started my very first company, so it was called, so it was basically, um, we're trying to build like an aggregator, like a kayak.com for loans. It, those are the days where all these like lending club and prosper were really taking off. And we were trying to aggregate all the loans, um, for investors. So you can go invest in those loans and get a higher yield. And yep. we started to build, um, a product there. Um, and that failed miserably because, uh, you know, we realized the market was not big. And also we had, I had disagreements with my co-founder on the vision mm -hmm. and, and then whatnot. So that was, that was my very first story. And I had to exit the startup and then think about, okay, what am I going to do? And took a few months break and join Kraft. Um, so, and, and right from there, and then and when I went to Kraft, even so at Kraft, um, we had to go through pivots in terms of the, our target audience. So Craft is basically uh, a data intelligence company, um, and we first started selling to hedge funds, and yeah. we realized hedge funds is a great market, but they churn quickly, they are very demanding, and they're not very nice to work with. So we like, okay, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Um, we're not going to work with them. Then we started working with salespeople, I think, and then sales was like, okay, the contract size are very small. Sure. So we found a part the of market volume play at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we need bigger volumes to make it work. Um, so, and we didn't know if we had that. So we then, we found our product market fit in supply chain intelligence. Who would have thought? Like none of oh, us yeah. were supply chain experts. And um, yeah. and that's because they needed uh, a tool to, you know, for, because think about some big manufacturing company, they have thousands of suppliers. They need an automated tool to like go through, verify that their companies, who they are, they have their offices and factories and the locations they claim they have. They have mm -hmm. so many employees do a whole check and that's how we got started and we found a product market fit and then now we, you know, it's a it's a series b company as i said so you just have to go through so many of these early early stage um i wouldn't call it necessarily failures because there's no failure it's all learning sure. lessons yeah i agree um, completely. like and then but it's all about how you react to it and how do you respond to it because if you if you're like if you're very adamant and stubborn saying like i know better than the market and you just keep hammering it away and then you know you're just going to give up at some point a market is always right so you when you you need to take the lesson and respond <laughs> appropriately and then and then success will find you i i used the analogy a couple of years ago i got into cycling 
I'm not a cyclist. I want that to be clear. Like there are cyclists. I just enjoy cycling. But what I realized was, um, with cycling, it was one of those things where you can push yourself to a certain limit. Right. And then at a certain point you go, Oh, I can't go any further. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't go any faster and it's disappointing. And you feel like I'm just, I'm just not good enough. But then what you realize is as you practice, as you do it more and more over and over again, your recovery times get faster. And so I think your, your point of it's not about failing. It's like, well, yeah, of course I wasn't, I didn't know that right out of the gate, but your, your, your time to recovery starts shortening, shortening, shortening as you get more experience in it. And I hope you were able to apply those things to your startup, this, you know, with ignition to say, oh, we can take those. We'll still make mistakes. We'll still have to iterate. We'll still have to learn, but we can reduce the recovery time that it takes to get, to get over that. Uh, Exactly. 100%. And that's why, you know, we we were able to build such a complex product in two years is because of all the failures in the past, not failure, learnings in the past, which you could take and apply to ignition. So yeah, it's been one hell of a ride. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. Well, I want to kind of pivot towards um, a little bit of like looking into the future. Obviously, it's, you know, when we're recording this, it's the middle of 2023. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this, if somebody's listening to this in the future, you're looking back middle of 2023. What was the theme of 2023? It's AI. Yeah. So what are you seeing looking forward that you're excited about? Is it AI? Is it something else? Um, obviously you already have AI in your, in your platform, but what do you, what, if you can look maybe, uh, uh, 12 months, 18 months ahead, which seems like a lifetime in our world, but if you could look that far ahead, what do you see coming that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, you know, for just, just on AI itself, um, you know, we have gone through a lot of cycles, like, you know, this web three was really hard. And I saw a lot of yeah. VCs change their title from Web3 VC to AI VC now. <laughs> so true. Uh, that's so so true. that's happening. But I think AI is real. Like I have yeah. been fascinated. I mean, I'm sure there's hundreds of people are talking about it, but I just want to add to that. It's like what I thought will be there five, 10 years from now. I see it today. Like yeah. some of the results we are seeing in our in experiments with, uh, you know, whether it's the open AI or Google or any other LLMs. It's just been fascinating, the level of quality, yes. uh, even compared to a human. So I, and I, I think, I think this is, this, this is definitely, if you look back four years from now, you know, this is definitely a very pivotal moment uh, in 2023. This is going to change the way pretty much everything works and spe- specifically in business software, the very traditional workflow, like, you know, if you look at whether it's like Salesforce, SAP, HubSpot, ProductBot, whatever, in Jira, everything is like workflow oriented. Like you go yes. to create a task, you go update it. All of that will be rebuilt with from an AI native perspective, mm-hmm. reimagined from an AI native perspective, where the tool is also not just a workflow tool, it's actually automation. It's actually automating a significant portion of your job. So for example, if you're a PM, you can just focus on the strategy and the vision, not worrying about keeping the roadmap in the order, messaging stakeholders, or trying to st- like, or you know, summarizing insights, all of that is gonna be taken care of by the AI. So you can actually yeah. do the creative work, which humans are really meant for. So I feel like there's a huge, um, automation revolution coming coming right now from ai um and uh and then something is going to be good something's going to be bad you know you know it's like that's what any innovation right yeah in any new technology right <laughs> so you just got to watch out but yeah and that's something i'm like super excited about and uh yeah i mean i'm very curious i'm curious to see what you think um one of the things i've been thinking about is 
as we see this progression of automation, um, as we see um, not only the that we can get faster and more efficient than things, we'll have to be creative. And and, and I, I wanted to be clear. I actually think there'll be a, a relatively long transitional period of folks that know how to utilize the tool of AI, right? Uh, we're taking advantage of the fact that we're in this industry where everyone's using it and everyone's talking about it. But then I go and talk to my mom or my wife, who's are, are in just totally different worlds. And while they get it, um, their daily activity hasn't quite changed from it, right? Yeah. Um, and and even as I described to them, you know, me jumping back in and learning to code again. So I hadn't coded in years because you know I mostly handed that off to engineers and we built teams around that. And I was like, I'm just curious. So I jumped in and I used the early versions of ChatGPT4 and I said, hey, I just want to be able to CRM. The data model is fairly simple, but I knew what prompt to give it, right? Mm -hmm. I, want, I knew how to, to tell it what my data, what, what data I wanted, that I wanted it to be a relational database, that I wanted to have a you know, smart search. I'd like to have AI on top of this, so, you know, et cetera. But I knew how to craft that prompt because I knew a bit about the space. Yeah. So by the end of the day, so I took a Saturday and I basically told my family, I was like, hey, are you cool with me going and looking at the computer for the next six hours? And, and they said, yes. I sat down. By the end of it, I had basically learned the basics of Python. I'd never, back mm -hmm. in the day, I never did Python. Python wasn't my language. Um, but learned the basics of Python and had a, a functioning app. Not deployed, but at least running locally. Um, and I understood the models and the file structure. But as I was communicating it, I thought to myself, not everybody could do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know how to prompt it. I know what I'm looking for because I at least have a little bit more context as to how to get there or how to communicate with it. And I think we're going to see that transitionary period. Yeah. But then you take two steps forward and you look at things being fully automated. Mm -hmm. So take marketing, for example. That's obviously an industry that's yeah. being disrupted really fast because everybody's going to automate everything. My curiosity will be, well, how will it change behavior of the end user that is receiving the AI marketed content. Mm -hmm. So do we start to, and you know, we all ignore emails already. We all ignore yeah. LinkedIn messages already. We don't answer our phones anymore. Will we just stop, will we just stop paying attention to, to all of it and yeah. go, go someplace else because the AI is no longer, you know, we know it's AI. I, I, I'm very curious about the human reaction to that experience. Yeah. No, that's, that's definitely a great question. Um, I, yeah, I, I've definitely wondered a lot on that. I mean, for the for the first half of what you said, I think that's where uh, for most of the people, the AI will be abstracted out. So you won't even know that the AI yes. is is a part of it. So that's so like there should be there should be no part. It's like basically doing your work for you, but it's powered by AI, but you don't see that. Like right. that's why you know it's just computing in the background, right? Yeah, it's just computing in the background and all. In fact, a lot of the engineering work is going to shift from just writing code to writing prompts. Right. Um, and then, you know, right. the end user is not even exposed to the prompts. Um, so um, that's a fascinating, um, it's already happening. It's, it's yep. just crazy how many uh, AI hackathons are happening right now as it's we speak. so fast. I know. It's wild. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with it all, but it's exciting. Um, but then, yeah, there's a real risk that, like, you know, even for us, like, you know, we were like, oh, we need to, we need to think about writing blogs and, you know, doing content marketing. And then we, we found a couple of tools where it mm -hmm. just auto-generated blogs for us. And we were able to generate like a thousand blogs in a week, which have taken us like a couple of years. And yeah. we did it in a week and we published it. But then we were like, hey, but if everyone keeps generating thousands and thousands of blogs, then who's going to read them all? And is it even valuable? And like, you know, obviously we are doing it for SEO purpose. I mean, there's a, 
yeah and also we have two different sections there's a there's a section where the blog is like us writing and there's a ai generated blog so we also yeah. want to keep track like how google like if google realizes this ai and then dings it and then this is yeah. like human written and maybe it has a, like a higher score or something i think uh -huh. those kind of i think algorithms will probably evolve to kind of differentiate um the wheat from the chaff you know it's always been an issue for content and it's only it's the problem is only be like not even 10x it's probably a 100x problem where yeah, right. all the search engines and uh, like how do you surface the most high quality content so just just have to do a lot of work in figuring out like i mean ai, AI content doesn't mean it's bad it's just like how do you like separate out this because if you don't do that then yeah people are just going to stop reading it because people are going to stop right. googling it because like you know it's just a big mess out there yeah it's i mean we're in that space between the already not yet it's like yeah. we're there but we're not at the pinnacle of what it could be um and also we're in the hype curve right so like it's definitely novel right now so we're all testing the novelty of what what could be and in reality that will settle into what is right what yeah. what where does it become a practical part of our everyday lives of of you know, the same way we treat, you know, Zoom now, or the same way we treat uh, the internet now, or cloud computing now. These were all mind-blowing ideas when they came out. How could I not have an on-prem server, right? Yeah. Well, of course, now everything's, you know, scalable in the cloud. Um, the, I'm curious about, like, will we all say that about quantum computing at some point, where we just yeah. say, like, yeah, we all have a quantum computer sitting around someplace. You know, I, I don't know, but I'm very much here for it. So, um well, first off, uh, Kritika, I just, I want to say thank you because your, your tool, your product, the way that you're approaching this, I think that it's one thing to build a product, product to say, yes, we have a business that can hopefully make some money. There's a second thing to say, we're, we want to help people be better at what they do every day. And that is launch products and take them to market. And your, your tool is very clearly aiming to help people. Um, not only from a facilitation standpoint, but from an education standpoint, and ultimately make it so that they can do their jobs better, release yeah. better products, go to market with things that are going to help the world be a better place. Um, so thank you, because that's not, that's hard work. That is very, very difficult work to do. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for exploring the tool. And thanks for you know having me on the show. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great. I just wanted to add one thing that, you know, we will be launching um, productroadmap.ai in August. Um, and that's going to be super exciting. So keep an eye out for the launch. You heard it here. All right. Cool, <laughs> cool, cool. Well, again, thank you for being coming on the podcast. Where can people find you, your company, your information? Where can they check you out? Yeah. So our website is haveignition.com. It's H-A-V-E-I-G-N-I-T-I-O-N.com. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. My LinkedIn handle is Kartik Suresh LBS and my Twitter handle is just my first name, last name is Kartik Suresh. Yeah, thank you so much. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a design consultancy that helps forward-thinking leaders discover, understand, and execute on their greatest opportunities. Learn more at crema.us. Mm -hmm.